This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. There will be spoilers in this episode specifically from the world Sarah J. Mass has created, as well as topics mentioning sex work, physical violence, and substance abuse. everybody, and welcome to A Court of Phantoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And before we get started with everything, because this is about A Court of Silver Flames, of course, Jessica has something she wants to say. I love TikTok. It has been an amazing place for my mental health and not just for me, for everybody. I've been in quarantine for 344 days as of are recording today. And this past week has been awful. For the most part, I've been trying to avoid spoilers. I was really excited about like popping onto TikTok all the time. I must have been really avoiding it because whenever I would go on TikTok, there would be this meltdown of people bullying and the fandom and death threats over a fucking book. Like, I didn't even realize people were taking down their posts. And I mean, you're having death threats over a book. Yeah, mental health should be a priority for everybody. And do we as a community not already realize that we're bullied from people who do not understand the importance and significance reading is to us. And I know Easy Cat, his name is Jason, he had a really good post and I can't put together words and convey how I feel in a proper way when it comes to bullying. It's a passion of mine, but there are so many other people who can just be more eloquent with how they say. And he does a great job in saying that we're bullying people amongst our community and there are people in this world who have it so much worse and and that's just for existing, not even having an opinion on a book. That's just for being who they are. And if you do listen to our podcast, you already know that we've already been about we've always been about positivity, being kind and being the versions of ourselves that we didn't necessarily have to look up to growing up. And I just I think it's important to recognize and not just recognize respect. Everybody's going to have other their own opinions. They're going to be educated. We're going to have different experiences reading this book. And even Laura and I, which we were talking about earlier this week, we've both had very different experiences reading Silver Flames. And this is the first time that we're reading a book that was the first time for both of us because Laura has been coaching me throughout this whole process. And even then, it's, it's going to be interesting for her saying her opinions, which I completely agree with, but how the outcome emotionally is just kind of weird. I just be kind, be respectful. There's a way to communicate without being so aggressive. And I think that, you know, it was really, I know, Laura, when we were leading into the release, like the release date, I go, are you excited? And you said, I'm really nervous. Why are you nervous? And she goes, 
this is going to get really toxic really quick. And I hated that feeling. And as somebody who is who lives with like high functioning anxiety, I already didn't like that. I posted a TikTok that said, you know, I don't care. You know, there's people who love Nesta. There's people who hate Nesta. Can't we just collectively appreciate that we're getting content? And I and I hate this. I always use this example, but I feel like that girl in Mean Girls who doesn't even go here. She's like, I wish we could just bake a cake of rainbow and smiles and we just eat it and be happy. I truly believe that. I, You know, you're going to have a difference in opinions and I know I'm rambling and people are, some people feel like you have to be team A or team B. Like it's this Captain America, T- Iron Man, Civil War thing. And I think it's also important to say to not be gatekeeping certain characters and we should normalize changing opinions. I feel like even if you were a Nesta hater and this book has changed your opinion, there are people who are going to say, well, I like Nesta first or you don't have the right to like Nesta now because I liked her first and you hated her. Isn't the whole point of books and reading is to to open our mind and to expand? And I mean, there's even research that says that people who read are able to have a, a more accepting world, you would think, and mindset, because you're exposed to different things. Like, shouldn't we just be embracing that? It's just like with politics. Normalize having changing your opinions and based on your experiences. I, you know what? Before we like, I'm, I'm gonna. I don't want to keep rambling, but that was just really frustrating to go into something that I love so much to see so much hate. Like, there's a reason I'm drinking for this episode. <laughs> I'm not drinking for this episode. I had canned artichokes on my pizza last night, and I am not well. Uh, I also want to throw in that it's really important to respect everybody's pronouns. And if you're not sure of somebody's pronouns, then go to their page and look and see if they've posted them, because that was a big part of the bullying that was taking place on TikTok. And Oh, I didn't even see that yet. Yeah, and that's really shitty. So we always try to respect people's pronouns, and it's a, like a decency thing. So please, please do that. So Jess, how about you start this? And because we haven't really talked about this, let's go through your initial reactions. Let's do a nice like sandwich situation where it's like good, bad, good. Okay. So that we'll end this episode on a positive note and like mine can be (laughs) in the middle. So go for it. I want to know what you think. What do you think about all of this? If you've heard any of our previous episodes, I think I I don't want to say I'm a Nesta hater. I hated Nesta's choices. And I have said from the very beginning, I wasn't a Nesta fan. I don't like how she handled things. However, when we wrapped the series up until Akawar, I go, I hate Nesta because, of course, it's like Harry Potter. Everyone's like, I want to be Gryffindor initially. So, of course, everybody wants to be Feyre and everybody wants to be these, like, the, the you know, the main character. And... As much as I wanted to, I'm probably going to start crying, but it's not because of Nesta. It's like my own shit that I have to deal with. But Nesta was like, why? I hate her, but she's the most relate. Like, I see a lot of myself in her. Like, if Bryce and Nesta had a baby, I feel like I'd be that baby. <laughs> um, especially with the way she internalizes everything, how she can come across. And I had said, there are things about Nesta that I don't like, and I think that is probably very reflective of the things that I don't like about myself. So I went into Silver Flames with an open mind, but knowing she had made shitty choices. 
And I think peppered throughout, like I know I had messaged you with things that Nesta had said that triggered me. Like I wasn't upset for her. I was upset for myself. And I was talking to somebody we both know. And I know that this book, from the positive things that I've seen, a lot of people have felt a lot of closure and help. And they've said that this has helped them, like accepting themselves. And there were definitely things where I was like, ooh, my therapist would not have approved of any of this. Or even, you know, I love the part where she's like, I can't fix me. Like, if, like, how am I supposed to fix me? And then, you know, that goes back and forth. We're like, well, did you try fixing yourself in the first place? But then you go to, like, another thing that I deal with of imposter syndrome was, like, if you feel defeated, then I was saying, go, maybe, and this could be considered problematic because you do have some people who are holding on to this so much. But I feel like for me, it was, oh, I thought I dealt with my shit and this just kind of triggered and resurfaced everything that I thought I had. So I think that's why I really, really liked this book. I had nothing to do with Nesta. I had everything to do with myself. So I don't know. That's that's where I am. Did I love the smut? Uh, initially, I was like, what is going on? And I'm blushing. And we'll get into that later because we have to get into that later. And now I'm like, if it's anything less than that in the next book, I'm not having it. <laughs> I guess those were my re- initial reactions. Yesterday, I had a book hangover. I'm a little bit better today. We'll see. That was a very good kind of like summary of your feelings. I had like the opposite reaction to this. I understand objectively that this is a good book. I know that it will help a lot of people and it will change people's lives and it's very important to them and it is a part of a journey that a lot of people are on and that it will become very special. I understand that. I did not care for this book at all. I was just kind of angry with Nesta the whole time. I'm going to be the odd one. I still really love the inner circle. I still really love, you know, all of the characters. I mean, I'm happy for Nesta. I'm happy that she's worked through all of her shit and now we can pivot to another character in another book. Uh, I'm happy that she is has found a purpose and is with her family, her like found family and also her like blood family. So I- I'm happy for that. I just was so frustrated with her the whole time. Every single time she was presented with a path of doing and saying the right thing or doing the opposite of that she always did the opposite and it was just like oh my god again we're gonna have to go through like six more chapters for you to work your shit out before we get any plot and I think that is really my main criticism what the fuck is the plot in this book I I really don't know like like yes I mean I know I know there's like Koshche and 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 the the queen and, and the dread trove which is just fucking hilarious okay we're all pirates Um, like what is that oh I will say and this is also going to be you know controversial I like the name of the baby I like Nyx I like Nyx people people hate it I love it I was Nyx for Halloween in October I love it little funny story with that we were doing a zoom trivia with my husband's family and everyone was going around the squares being like what are you dressed as what are you dressed as And there was a lot of like uh Carol Baskins 
and <laughs> things like that. And they were like, Laura, what are you? I was like, I'm the goddess Nyx, the goddess of night, darkness, madness, and sleep <laughs> and death. And everyone was just like, uh, <laughs> moving on. I like the significance of the name, um, you know, because they are the night cord and the night is so important to them, especially like when you unravel everything. And I like that they said like the goddess Nyx for a boy name. Like how you you so often hear, you know, quote unquote, traditional boys names as girls or names that are considered ambiguous. However, like I like the interchangeability of it. Yeah, I had no problem with it. I don't know. I people people are pressed about it, but you know, they're pressed about a lot of things. Who are they gonna name him, Bob? Yeah. <laughs> um those are pretty much my initial reactions. So like I, I feel a little bit better about Nesta and of course I have like moments in the book that I enjoyed. Um the smut, obviously I, I didn't need to know that Cassian has a giant horse cock, but now that I do I did. I was, I mean, I assumed it, but I'm glad it was confirmed. You know, I also didn't need to know that they have a jizz kink, but now that I do, it's all (laughs) I think about. This is where I stand on everything. I'm really glad that Sarah has moved out of YA. I'm happy for her as an author. I'm happy for us as readers. Because every book that she's going to write, if this is the standard that she set for herself, she just set the bar high. Everything beyond this is going to be epic. So I'm happy for this as kind of a, I think of it personally as like a bridge book. So like we have Feyre's you know, story. And then we have this bridge book with like Nesta finally coming back into the inner circle. And then now we're going to get like plot maybe in the next book, but I don't even know what the next book is or when it's coming out or whatever. So those are my initial reactions. Even though she, she, she went there in this book. Like when people talk about spice, I feel like a different word needs to be created because this was the, the, the steamiest thing I've ever read. I'd, I thought I had read Spice before. Joke's on me. She did an IG Live with Steph, um, idealistic, re- ideally realistic reviews. I don't re- She's on Instagram. She said she didn't know which one had more fluids, this or Crescent City 2. So she assumed initially it was this one. But then Sarah is still in the editing process, and you could see her her mind going, can I add more? So I have no idea what we're going to get for Crescent City 2. I also can't imagine and don't want to imagine our, our resident Chad Hunt with a jizz kink. I don't need... Like, I, don't, I, I shouldn't... Okay. I'm trying not... To, I, I'm trying to improve myself and be better and be more accepting. So if we do have listeners who are into that, I am sorry. This is nothing against you. This is completely, like, from my POV. So Jess is sheltered. Do. Please remember have this. We, have we, like, not <laughs> discussed my little, my little bubble of... I had no idea there was a knife kink, and then TikTok came around. And now I didn't even realize... This was a kink. And I, I texted you and I go, or I think I voice memoed you and I go, this is like a two-person bukkake. <laughs> like, 
What yes, else? It, it was everywhere. It was, it was everywhere. everywhere. It, was on all, it was on all the surfaces. Um, so as long as he we're... didn't like, he was he was never even washing. Was he washing his sheets? Was the house changing him? The house. We love the house. MVP. I have to think the house was changing the sheets. I don't know. He was like, I pumped myself dry, like, and then laid in it on your bed. I don't know. I really hope the house like came through. And then I need to know. Because poor Az. Like, he's, like, immersed in this mate scent and wait, sex wait, wait, scent. Wait, wait, and... wait, Are we – do you just want to, like, transition and just talk about Az? I know you have a notepad full of notes. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. But I do – I did have a question about – okay, so remember the first the first night Nesta was getting herself off to the idea of Cass. And so she told the house. She's like, don't come back till the morning. Do you think at any point – the house kind of soundproofed wherever Nesta and Cass were, the way Reese used his magic at the camps for him and Vera, so nobody heard them. That's a good question and something I haven't considered. Uh, if the house was really a true friend, then you, you would think so. But also, the house is into the smut, so the house might be like celebrating all of it. I don't know. I like All the I house. Know, my husband made me put headphones on to, <laughs> to listen to this after the skull fucking at the table scene. And he was just like, no, 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 please, please. Skull I, fucking? I thought at the ta- Wait, I thought the table was just the dining room table where she just like gave him a head. But he didn't fuck her. He fucked her mouth. Oh, yeah, that. Which is your what? Oh, well. <laughs> Well, I'm thinking of, like, catacomb skulls, not (laughs) her actual, like, fucking her mouth. Jess is sheltered. You know, I can't even. That's my life. Somebody teach me. Like, I don't know. No guys are listening, so it really doesn't matter. (laughs) Poor Sam. Like, was that he? What was his reaction? Was he like, that's it? Is he? Is that usually his reaction when you're listening to certain things? No. No. Certain descriptors that were used, he was just like, I just cannot. You know, all, all the, the, the thrusting and then the, the teeth. He was just like. Poor throat. She likes it. Yeah. Uh, all of that. You know, I didn't need to know all of that. But now that I do, it was like my big takeaway from this whole book. Just God. Uh, and also. I know it's been said on TikTok and stuff, but chapter 55 is nothing. It is gone. Everybody that has those chapter 55, like, sweatshirts and, like, <laughs> we survived chapter 55, it's like, okay, did you survive? But what, do you what do you say for this one? Do you say chapter 22, chapter 26, chapter 41? You just say 50- the book. Well, and we've said chapter 55 was spicy for YA, I guess. But you and I had openly said, like, chapter 55 isn't really anything. It's nice. It's sweet. It's a moment. I've been on chapter 54 for my life. So as long as we're kind of just talking about the sex, let's talk about the fact that Nesta kind of uses it as a distraction. This is my personal opinion. I personally believe that Nesta uses, now up until a point, obviously, uh, uses the sex and uses the training and like finding purpose with the Valkyries as a way to just not work on herself at all. 
It, she's channeling all of her energy and everything into these new things, and she's not actually doing any of the internal work through her trauma that she is up there to do, which, I mean, fine, it's a story, whatever, she's not real, but she was really shitty to Cassian that first time in the stairwell. She's like, quick off the mark. Like, you know that hurt him. Just like, really? Damn. I like that later in the book, she says, like, you are good, brave, brilliant. I could kill anyone who has ever made you feel less than that. And she continues to say, like, she acknowledges that she's one of those people. So she knows she doesn't deserve him. And I, I appreciate that growth and recognition in herself. But it wasn't until Amron called her out on her shit, which a lot of people and Amron gets a lot of shit in this book, too, which I feel like anybody who's okay, like people we're going to get so attacked for this episode. Anybody who has read the last 3.5 books, this is not out of character for Amron saying any of this, being this way. I do think that TikTok and social media, and we've given a voice to a lot of these characters, but this goes back to in one of our previous episodes, just because we've created these worlds, and that's not how the character came out or the story came out. Are, is it really fair for us to be frustrated with characters if they don't come out the way we want to in our head? And and I say that because a lot of the way Amron's portrayed is she's indifferent, she loves shiny things, blah, blah, blah. Yes, those that's still true. I don't deny any of that. I kind of love that Nesta walked in on her fucking Varian. I, I really love that because I'm like, that's in character for Amron too. Like, she called her out on her shit, right? And... And I told you, Laura, I said, you would do the same. Not only would you do, you have done the same thing to myself, to our friends. Like, you can be doing all the outer work. What are you doing to fix it inside? You're using me as a friend. You're using me as an, a shield. I'm enabling you at this point. And I feel like not every not everybody has a group of friends who will call them out on their shit. You know, you don't go out with the intent of looking for friends who, who like, I want to, I want somebody who is direct. You gravitate towards those people. And you don't need a yes man. Having that person who's going to be honest with you and give you that feedback that nobody else is willing to give, I think that takes a strong person and a special person. And Nesta wasn't willing at the time to hear that and accept that because she hadn't done the inner work yet. I just, I like Amron. Nothing she did or said was out of character in, in everything, whether she was voting against her during telling her about her powers, talking to her as a friend, because Nesta was the one person that Amron felt she was a friend in the earlier books and wanting to help and wanting to connect and being that that thing that's something very old and she had that connection with. It's not, I don't know. I think all of the inner circle was portrayed in character. Yeah. I, I don't see why people are hating on any of the inner circle i mean i love that now they can all just say fucking motherfucker like it's great it, it makes them a little bit more real than they were before because before like i mean it was just ya but like their language was kind of censored their actions were kind of censored and now we get we get it all and, and i really love that Everyone is saying Reese is out of character. I disagree completely. No. Something I also really disagree with are people saying that 
Reese putting the shield on Feyre is exactly the same as Tamlin locking her in the house. No, I disagree. Uh, yeah. I didn't even know that was being said about the shield, but uh, no. I love the inner circle and inner court, however people use it interchangeably. I don't think anything they did was out of character. I don't even see him being her being in that shield. It wasn't just for her. It was for his kid. And they came up with that compromise. It wasn't where Tamlin said, I need you to stay here. I don't know what's going on out there. If Even if that conversation happened where he didn't lock her up there, I'm, that whole the whole storyline would have been completely different if there was the communication, which is a running theme. But there was communication in this decision. Maybe not, you know, when you were finding that she was, you know, knocking on death's door part of it. But there was an agreement that, look, yes, you can protect me. Yes, you could protect our child. This isn't out of character. I just don't understand. And, and I saw a really good TikTok where somebody was even saying, she goes, you know what? If this pregnancy stuff had been thrown into Frost and Starlight, especially since they were already like on the pregnancy talk, like an epilogue of Frost and Starlight, this wouldn't even be a running discussion for this book. Because we would have already known and gone into Silver Flames knowing that he was protective, knowing this was going to happen, blah, blah, blah. Even though if you've read the last 3.5 books, you knew he was over, not overprotective, but very protective of Feyre. He's always said he his mate was going to come first before anything. And I, I just don't see anything out of character. And I don't know why people are acting like it is. And people saying that Reese is like a douchebag. It's like, okay. He was never not. I loved it. But he's also, like, if you take a step back, he is the leader of an enormous territory. Feyre is a leader of an enormous territory. They have to be very careful about optics, about political connections, about everything that they do. It's like people that are angry about this have never watched, like, a political thriller or, you know, you've never watched Rain on the CW. Like, playing politics is really important, and optics are really important. And because they are the leaders, they have to keep everybody in line. Like, no, as you can't start a blood feud over someone who isn't your mate. We have to keep everything together because there's a war coming. You have to play the long game. You have to have the, the world view when you are on like the big stage and and uh, again this people are people are gonna fucking tear us apart and i don't even care people like he doesn't deserve to run a country because that high king high queen storyline it was just touched upon that is totally setting up something for a different book because prithian hasn't had a high king in all these years not just these years but even when you go back to aqua war it was Reese who had collectively pulled all the courts together, and it was Reese who led everybody. He might not be the strongest, but like he is the most powerful High Lord. He has that foresight of being able to take a step back and thinking bigger picture and understanding the importance of what it means. Can he be a little rose-colored glasses? When it comes to Feyre, absolutely. However, his relationship with Feyre, knowing that she's High Lady, allows him to say, you know, She's able to not just say like, oh, well, I'm your lady. No, we are equals and we're both having a say in this and this is how we're going to move forward. And I think that's really important in regards to Reese's character. I don't I just don't. This attack on his character is unnecessary because what have you been do? What have you been reading the last three point five books unless you were only in it for the romance, which is quite possible. 
But even like you were saying, if you haven't watched a political drama or if you haven't watched like historical fiction, there is realism within that. It still happens now. And let's not forget, if Reese wanted to be a dictator or whatever, then he wouldn't have had everybody vote on whether to tell Nesta or not. And then he wouldn't have been like, you know what? Okay, Feyre is going to be the deciding vote here because her vote is just as much as mine. You know, like that conversation wouldn't have happened. And he doesn't say like, well, I'm I'm high lord, so my vote will count twice. Right. Like everybody is like, an, even though te- like you can't even say like technically he has two votes because Feyre doesn't always vote with him because she was the first one to say no, Nesta absolutely has to know. She has a right to know what these swords are, these shields, blah, blah. Like, she had a right to know. And she's the, in, you know, I think that was really important. And I like that Reese comes to Nesta's defense. And I, I, I know, I told you, I said I would have voted Nesta to know. I think she needed to know. But I understand, but I think it goes, and maybe it's just who we are as people where we're allowed, where we open our minds a little bit or a lot to say, this is how I'm voting. However, I understand and respect that this is where your vote is coming from. Yeah. Do I understand why Amron voted? No, she shouldn't. No, absolutely. I I get it, especially with their history. I think, Laura, you had made a point saying like, what has Nesta done to try up into this point? She hasn't channeled her magic. She hasn't wanted to acknowledge it. I think that was all really important. Okay. So... Nesta, obviously, is the MC in this book. She can, like, blacksmith new very powerful legendary weapons. Okay, cool. She is death personified. Okay, cool. She can wear the mask. Awesome. The dread... I can't say it with a straight face. The dread trove. Do we think that the horn in Crescent City is part of the dread trove? It could be. Yeah, I say yes. I mean, now, I mean, we already had official confirmation from Sarah recently how they're all the worlds are integrated. You know, you have word gates and Aelin falling through the world. And in this book, you have the the red star, which, quote unquote, was a bad omen. But we know that it's Aelin, uh, which, oh, man, oh, my. Let's let's not forget that I had just finished KOA and I still haven't been computing my feels for KOA because a day and a half later, I was like, not even like 24 hours later, I was reading Silver Flames. So uh, there were a lot of KOA stuff in here, even with the live Nesta live. And I was like, but none. I was just like crying. Or, you know, Sarah likes her mantras. The one in this book is keep reaching your hand out, which I was a little bit frustrated with because I was thinking to myself, like, okay, how many times do you reach your hand out before it's just like enough? And I think that is um, a good place to talk about the first six chapters because the first six chapters are what got everybody so fucking pressed about this book. And Jess, I know you said it on TikTok, but I guess I didn't understand how many people were unfamiliar with the concept of an intervention. Right, right. Like, And then I, there was also a comment on the TikTok that had mentioned, they go, yeah, I understand uh, interventions, but forced, like being forced to like, to go to the house of wind. That's like when you're forced to go to rehab. Yeah. That's that's literally what this is. And it's not because if any, it's people do interventions and they have these 
not because they don't love you, you know, it's because they absolutely love you and they're, they're at their, they don't know what else to do. They feel helpless and they're hoping that by them sharing their hopeless, not hopelessness towards the person, but helplessness towards the situation, that that love will be felt. And a lot of times in these scenarios, not just a lot of times in these scenarios, people are going through their own shit. So they have to want to help themselves too. And sometimes you can do it by yourself and that's great if you can. And sometimes you can't and it needs to be forced. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you have to be like, well, as long as it's happening, then, you know, but I, and I understand later on Nesta's fear where, you know, this ha- the house of wind is the shit. She's getting bubble baths. She's training. She, she's forming these relationships. She's working in the library. And then at some point she has the fear of, well, what's going to happen when I go back to real life? And I think a lot of people can relate to that, whether you've been in rehab or had having substance, substance abuse situations or even ED, like you're great when you're hospitalized and everything's controlled and routined. And but what's going to happen when you step outside of that? And you're not sure of yourself in that moment, too. You're like, I'm great in this situ- scenario. But What's going to happen when I get back into the quote unquote real world? Like that's when the real work starts. And I I feel so I do feel bad for Nesta because I think it also shows her growth that she's able to acknowledge that. And there's fear with that. She might not be communicating that fear. And we know that through her actions of keep choosing. I don't want to say regressing, but keep defaulting back to the negative choices in which she she keeps defaulting to, which I know is a big uh, criticism of yours, Laura. But I feel like that's just like really real life that some, you know, and I think a lot of people like they fall back on the default because that's what they know, because applying that work is the real strength and the real growth and the real fear, if anything, to keep going because that's your, you know, the, the fear is what's stopping you. Or even when we started the podcast, we're like, this is completely outside of our comfort zone. Do we even want to do it? You know, and that's so menial compared to this situation. But just trying to, like, understand how, how people process it differently. I think um, I think that's what Sarah was trying to convey in her writing. Oh, absolutely. And as you were saying, the person that is the, the focus of the intervention is always going to not appreciate it obviously and uh, get defensive and get angry and say like you know well screw you but also and and there's a part in there where it's like Nesta kind of knew that this was coming uh, with the bar bill she says like "Ooh, maybe I pushed it a little too far and and then Reese talks about like optics like we're the leaders that looks really bad on us and also um, Nesta was trading on her relationship to Reese and Pharaoh, like people weren't going to come after her because they know that, you know, the high lady is her sister and she knew that. And just the whole situation was really shitty. I also want to point out, like, she's been doing this for like, what, two years? You know, and Amron was fighting. Now we know Amron was fighting for her for those two years. And she goes, I was your shield for two years at some point. And that was the fight on the barge where she's like, you're pathetic. And of course, when you are that per when you're the person who is going through these situations, everything's going to feel like an attack, you know, and, and, and I do feel there was another part, even with that feeling an attack, I was very empathetic, even based on a scenario that happened to me in real life with family recently, where no matter how much you grow, 
and Nesta was when once Nesta was actually finally putting the work in, and Reese would say, you know, he would do his Damati thing and be like, "Be nice to Gwen," or when ne- or when Elaine was saying, "It's her birthday. Can you be na-? like?" I I've I have reacted like that. Fuck you. Like you don't know. You don't see the growth because I'm still this one person in your head, which is where I appreciated Cass and Az saying, you guys, that was not right. You don't know what we know. You don't see what we see. You have this version in your head of her. And I just and it's frustrating where, you know, when you do start trying and then people still don't see that version of you. Like I can see that that does knock you back. You're like, fuck, man. Like, what else do I have to do? But also on the flip side of that, she you know, the private meeting with Elaine in the House of Wind just got, you know, Nesta blew her out of the water for, like, almost no reason. That part, yeah, I agree there. I wasn't referring to the House of Wind. I was referring to Solstice. But it was her own trigger. That was, but that's because she hadn't, she hadn't done, she, she was still, in the process of the, doing the internal work or she hadn't started the internal work yet because it was completely triggered by the death of her father. It had nothing to do with Elaine. Elaine was just kind of asking questions. Um, Elaine was trying, right? El- Elaine, Elaine was trying. That was the first time that she had gone up there since essentially like moving her out of her apartment. Right. And speaking of Elaine, I mean, Elaine, but I, <laughs> I, I still don't like Elaine for reasons, but I did really like when Elaine stood up for herself and was like, you know, basically screw you. My trauma and what happened to me affects me. And all you ever do is think about how it affects you. So you are like you weren't the only one who went through this. Yeah. And it's also like, oh, you're afraid to scry with the bones and stones because you remember that I was taken. What about me? Like, I, I liked that. I really liked that Elaine kind of stepped up. And I also kind of see where Elaine's going to go when some of the characters were saying like, oh, you know, Elaine or Ernesta says like, oh, you're boring. Maybe you'll finally <laughs> be interesting. It's like, oh, yeah, OK. And then uh, so I think. Well, how about in the, the Faye Sand chapter where even uh Farah goes to resent you think Elaine you think Elaine is boring and he's like I didn't say that but yes but we haven't given her you know like maybe she has been kept in this box of Elena's the boring one who just plants flowers which I get like I get where everyone's like your family's starving you can't grow fucking food I get that criticism um but he goes, maybe she's never had the chance. We've she's, never she's, let her. Uh, or she's we, just fulfilling, like, our expectations of her. Um, you know, everybody says, like, oh, she's boring. Oh, uh, you know, she's quiet, whatever. That's what she has always, ex- like, been expected to be. So she's going to be like that for everybody because she thinks that that's what her role is. I mean, there, there's a lot there. But obviously, I'm not going to harp on Elaine. She's still boring. And I, uh, with the as chapter in Elaine, so. That's another, that's another. That's when we talk about as specifically. Okay, I, I have, I have something. Solstice. Oh, I was, I had a solstice note. I started crying. I sent Eddie, like, the snap of me sobbing when he got her a fucking fairy mixtape. 
I thought so that was cute. the sweetest thing. It was so sweet and it was so thoughtful and he put so much thought into it. Not just that one, but even like the previous year that we find out what it is. I was just this man, male, whatever, flew to the hewn city, a place that he despises, to ensure he was like capturing the things that make like that light her up that he saw brought her the purest joy that he had never I just that male he and I, I I don't even know I feel like over the course of this book I've always been like oh I like us he's my number two Reese will always be my number one I've had growth and then Laura you just called me out on my shit and you were like you like frat boys, you will always like frat boys, like fratty boys deep in heart because they bring you joy and you, they make you laugh, which is like, I don't make myself laugh all the time. So like, it's just, so So I finally gave into it. Cass is my number two. Who knows if that'll change when, as this book comes out. But I, I thought that was just so sweet and so thoughtful. And I, I, I simp for Cass. I mean, I simp for Reese Harder, but but you know she shat on that gift too. She was I, like, ugh. she was like, I, I don't want this. I can't accept this. You know, and, and he's you like, know, it's not a fucking. Oh, that whole scene because I reread it this morning. Where he goes, it's, it's a gift, not a fucking wedding ring. Yes, be upset as uh, Cass. He's so. I like when he gets upset with her because then it shows that he's not completely blinded by the mating bond that he knows is there. She's refused. And she, he calls her out on that, too. He's like, you even later, he goes, ask me why I left immediately after, like the morning after, aside from the snowball fight. He goes, I knew and you weren't ready, willing to accept it. And he goes, I couldn't scare you away. And he also says, like, you pledged like forever you pledged forever and that we're the only ones for each other and like now now you're freaked out she's like well it's my last like tie to humanity it's like what take my humanity when i would give fuck you nesta i will trade places with you any day and not just because you're getting cass's horse cock it's like my whole forearm (laughs) i I mean that wouldn't fit in me but maybe if i was Faye, because everything's like elongated (laughs) But take take my humanity, Nesta. I will switch places in your fey body and fayness every day. I already have the tits. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. It was, it was really frustrating. I thought all of Solstice was really frustrating because Nesta didn't want to be alone. So she her power created this sentient house for her. It's like Smart House 2.0. I'm fine with it. We know... That the house will give her whatever she wants. We know this. She has that really cute sleepover with the, you know, Pegasus or whatever and the bubble baths and, you know, cake, all that stuff. So we know that the house will give her stuff. Nesta shows up to Solstice with no gifts. It's not like she was dragged there anyway. She even said, she's like, I don't have gifts. All she could have literally said to the house is, she didn't have to be specific. She could, can you give me a gift that you think Pharaoh would like? Can you give me a gift that Cassian would like? like or even not she even. Put thought it into it. She could have even just like written a letter. Isn't that one of the steps in AA? Like admitting like you fucked up? Like she just shows up totally empty-handed and she at this point she's starting to realize that like all of this was for her own good you know she's at this point she's got her purpose she's got everything and oh it made me so mad yeah she doesn't have any money she doesn't need money and also also she didn't ask you know she could have been like okay fine yes i will go but i don't have like any gifts or anything um could i get 
like some fucking money for a gift. She she didn't put in anything. And it is not difficult to take a post-it note and say, hey, I love you. Right. That that could have been enough. I'm sure that would have been enough. As got cast beef jerky. Yeah, and like, like, come on. The, the, the bar is not high here. We know <laughs> that Moore gives, like, really crappy gifts. It's part of her whole personality. Like, just, I mean, just try. I saw a really funny TikTok where someone was, you know, doing the inner court Christmas exchange, the solstice exchange. And in the TikTok, she hands, you know, Cassian pulls out a butter knife. And he's like, a butter knife? And she goes, it's the only knife you don't have. <laughs> I just so hard this morning i was like it's true it is the only knife he doesn't have but it's also like not out of character for more to give it it's totally in character absolutely <laughs> she gives terrible gifts we know this i like it oh but as this gift was so thoughtful like could you just did you just want to squeeze them we love as we still love as we still love as that has not changed I feel like a lot of people are going to be like, oh, if you're not team A or team B, who were you here for? I'm team for the book. I'm here for the fucking book. Yeah, for real. Well, and we're going to talk about as um, a little bit later because just as a whole. I have a legal whole, pad, like yeah. two pages of legal notes. So let, let's talk about something that I, I've been thinking about. So Jess, you posted on the Instagram when Sarah put the quote out about like dropping, Nessa dropping her elbow, right? Right. And and you were like, oh, this is going to be, he's going to come behind her and he's going to. I gonna... thought it was going to be a fucking trope. I swear. And even, even like when I did the poll, I was like, anybody else with me? Only two people did not think it was going to be that. Yeah. And all of a sudden we learn that, okay, Nesta wants the priestesses to train. We love this. You know, that's, it's, it's excellent. I like that she is checking the thing, whatever, but she knows that uh, because the library is a place of like uh, recovery for trauma and sexual assault, that the priestesses there will be very uh, cagey about having a male instructor. So she, you know, does sets this whole thing up so that Cass will come and correct her in a very like instructor teacher appropriate way. And, like, he, like, touches her very briefly and then says, steps back, you know, pretty far and says, like, okay, show me. And she's on the balcony so everybody sees her. And uh, I thought that was really interesting because we were all set up for the come behind the you and, like, sexy yeah. trope. But it wasn't that at all. And I thought – I've thought this several times throughout the book that, like, Sarah is on some level aware of the tropes that we associate with her and the words that we associate with her and – um just kind of the vibe of the fandom in general and I feel like she kind of put that in there like the smutty book club like yeah the velvet wrap steel she only used that once but it was like haha and I uh, know yeah so I, I thought I thought that was really interesting and just something that uh, was a callback to us assuming something about a situation and being completely wrong just like the mask Right? Everybody freaked yeah. out about the mask. We all assumed it, it was this one thing. Did anyone think it was going to be part of a creepy dread trove? No. We were judging something and we had no idea where Sarah was taking it. And ugh, that, that just ugh, goes back to the toxic fandom. 
I, I know one of my theories with the mask was I was like, oh, there's going to be a masked ball, but there was a there's a day court insignia, but there was orange. So there's going to be a lot of autumn court. And we did get autumn. We got autumn court by way of Eris. We definitely got a ball. Maybe it wasn't a masquerade, but we did not get as much of Vasagurian and Lucian as I was expecting when especially with my first initial takeaway with the cover that Jurian and Vassar are going to be a thing I hope so they they feel they feel very like enemies to lovers combative yeah but they, there's a line in this book it's like a throwaway line Lucian says during solstice because they were like oh how's the spring court or something and he's like how, how do you think Tamlin's doing he just you know he's still bitter that Feyre left him and She's with his mate, and now she's pregnant. And they were like, oh, well, how's Jorian and Vasa? And they're like, oh, well, they're doing what they do best, like, in regards to the arguing. And I go, that's something. That's totally going to be something. But didn't, in a previous episode, didn't you, you were really here for the Lucian Vasa? Well, I'm not, I'm not here for Lucian and Elaine. I'm not. Uh. <laughs> I Okay. Since we are talking about Elaine and Lucian there, I, I have a question. It's a general question feel free to add your opinion. So you know how everybody's always like, how come everybody tells more to just let As know? And But no one's ever really telling Elaine, just let Lucian know. Like, it's why hasn't she rejected the mating bond yet? We know that that can be a thing. It's been two years. Or that was the other thing. Is it a political thing? Is it because they know they eventually need to have everybody kind of on the same side? Side. I don't. I, I. I don't think Elaine's that smart. But if if Reese is kind of saying like, let's just let's just be copacetic about everything. That's a good question. I don't know. Although I feel like it is pretty much assumed that she's rejected the mating bond through her actions. Yeah, through her actions. But I feel in the Fey world, you know, you have the food exchange or whatever, and then you have the mating bond, and you accept it, and forever, blah blah blah. I feel like the same thing needs to be vocally denounced in order for it to because he's still getting her presence he's still giving her and i mean i understand that the meeting bond even if it's rejected you had said it's like just because it's rejected that doesn't mean it still doesn't stay with you it was just it was just a question that i had i had really i don't know why she hasn't re- formally rejected it yeah i don't know it's not like she's fucking ass like no she, but she wants not... to be choked by him that's for damn sure yeah but she also like doesn't do anything I don't know. I part of me feels like we're not giving Elaine enough credit, and that it might be a political thing. Uh, I feel like maybe she pays more attention to the things that Reese does and like how oh, he yeah. kind of runs things than we give her credit for. Of course, we don't know. We don't know her POV. Just like we never really had an as POV till now. Do you want to? Do you want to go in as? Well, you go in because he's your he's your he's your man. As is my favorite. I love as. I I understand. I understand that people are upset about the bonus chapter. I I, I get that because I feel like we as a fandom. I'm excluding myself here, though. <laughs> but the fandom in general has given him a personality that was not presented to us in the pages so we assume he's a certain way but we have nothing to back that up and if you look at what's actually in the books on the pages the conversations because we don't have his internal thoughts except for this 
this book. He's very damaged. He yeah. had a horrific childhood. He has anger issues. He tortures people. That's his job. He's a spy. That's his job. He's always away in darkness. And so if you gave him like this soft boy kind of persona, right, if if that's what your image of him was, then yeah, I can see how the as chapter would bother you. But if you if you went from what's on the page, then you're just like, oh my God, finally, finally, I just want to see like, what is going on in his head and he's sad and he's lonely and he's bitter and there's nothing wrong with that and 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 Sarah addressed a huge plot point that people use to criticize her like oh three sisters in the cauldron they're gonna end up with all the bat boys and he says that like why not me why am I the only one that isn't chosen what is wrong with me like yeah, I feel like I'm owed her because why wouldn't I feel that way? I agree with you because I'm like looking at my notes and I was like, he's coming from a place of hurt, of pain and loneliness. And he's he's happy for his friends, but he's also like, he sees it as his brothers and himself. Like we've all gone through some, they've all gone through trauma. They've all gone through some shit. And I don't think he's looking at being owed Elaine as like a property thing. I think he feels like I want to be owed happiness. And right now, as associates happiness with Elaine, just like we know that he wanted to be with more and he felt like more was for him, but he also didn't feel like he was good enough, you know, and I I did feel bad for us. And I also didn't understand people felt a need, you know, especially with the discussion regarding the as chapter people again, this is like a, clearly if you if you're listening to our podcast, we're like going back and forth why do people feel a need to pick side oh reese is an asshole in this scene no i i like as so all of a sudden and there was a really good tiktok that i had sent you this morning you could be both of them i can you can see where both sides are coming from i feel bad for as he's especially when he's up in the house of wind he's first he was like you know all around, not just the mating, you know, it was more the mating bond and happiness and love with Feyre and Reese, but now he's consumed by it with Cass and Nesta, even prior to the mating bond, because even when Reese would stop by, before they were even sleeping together, their attraction to each other was so strong. He goes, what the hell are you guys doing up here? It smells of, it, like, he didn't even say, it reeks of sex, and they hadn't slept together. So, and like, as is just, all about it which i also like when as walks in on them in like chapter 22 23 he's like you just got your cock sucked at dinner i have a say i have a say and Cass is like you right you right my bad yeah and that's a respect thing also too i i feel like for a large part of this book that everybody's kind of like wrapped up in their own shit right um and and i like that as consistently kind of makes noise, you know, like, hello, I'm here, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> I like it because he's the shadow singer. You know he doesn't make noise. So the amount of things that, and that's why I asked about the house soundproofing things. <laughs> I'm here. I, I think it's just like when you're listening in on your parents when you're younger, you, you're so quiet to a certain point until you just like have to scurry away. <laughs> I also feel like we need to appreciate as his personality as a whole like remember when nesta fell down the stairs and as kind of looks at her at, at breakfast he's like did someone push you it's like there's a dry humor that we got in aqua war i'm telling you tiktok has been really nice to like 
for me to think, ooh, that's a good one and that's a good point. But I really liked the one where somebody brought up a really good point of we are seeing damaged Azrael right now. And somebody equated it to seeing Daddy Phantom Hands, you know, but we grew with Dorian and we saw the soft side and then we were like, hey, well, you were a the whole time. <laughs> I was like, hey, and I feel like we because we didn't see the before everyone is flipping out in this whole as section. He we don't know his backstory. So everybody's really jumping the gun here in character accusation, you know, for lack of a better word. This goes back to what we say about fanfic, the worlds that we create in our head. And Kaven had a really good TikTok live. And she was saying that a lot of the times, especially in YA or just fantasy novels in general, it's the fandom that builds the characters. We are only given what we're given through the author, what's on the page. And the reason the fandoms, you you kind of immerse yourselves in them are these worlds that you create and the characters and the personalities that you add to them. So again, is it fair and it's not? To be accusing this man, we don't know his trauma. We know a little bit of it. We know the shit his step, his half brothers put him through. We know his mother wasn't there. We knew that he wasn't like his best friends had to teach him how to fly as a preteen. You know, he's and that's not even saying what he has probably like. They've all been to battle. They've all been to war. But based on his skill set, he's definitely seen some shit that other people probably haven't seen. I just, I, I feel for this guy. I feel so bad. I also, that being said, I don't think Reese was wrong in having this conversation with him. Again, it's not out of character. He was he was acting, not even twofold, more than that. He was acting as a friend. He had to act as a friend, a high lord, and a brother-in-law all at the same time. And Reese was having all these same thoughts about Feyre. Cass was having all these same thoughts about Nesta. If Az wants to have these sexual thoughts about Elaine, go ahead. But, you know, Reese is also like, but if you need to get your fix, here. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll get you somebody. Yeah, I, I, fe- I feel like people are just a little bit shaken because Az is suddenly horny. But I think that's... Again, it's one chapter. And why are we shaking that he's horny? Sarah literally said he's a freak in a good way. We were all excited about As being a freak and how good he's going to be in bed. And, oh, that's going to be the best sex ever, even if it's in our head with, you know, the, the proper term. Thanks, TikTok. I'm really exposing, like, my sexual awareness of fictophilia, which is being sexually aroused by fictional characters. Okay. And... Everything that everybody has already put out there, we're seeing in chapter, and now everybody's taking a step back. We're like, oh, well, that's not what I wanted to see. What? Well, it's hypocritical because Nesta and Cass have been fucking the entire book. Cass is talking about, like, his hands around his cock, like, the whole book. And then all of a sudden, Az has, like, two thoughts because he's completely lonely and devastated and everybody's so upset about it. Somebody tell me a time that they haven't been lonely and wanted a little, like, physical, you know, attention. And then everybody gets really upset because he re-gifted the necklace, which, uh, whatever, I'm not upset about that at all. I'd be upset if if I was Gwen, like if I find out later that it wasn't for me. Like when people re-gift an engagement ring, that would be upsetting for me. Yeah, I can see that. But also like, uh, you know, Elaine is frustrating in a lot of ways, but 
the fact that she was like gung ho for this. Who was gung ho? Elaine, because like they were gonna kiss, right? They were. Yeah, oh, a hundred percent. And that, and because he didn't, because Reese called him out on it, then she returned. Yeah, the necklace. Yeah. She was like, oh, okay, well, fine. It's like what? Oh, okay. Meanwhile, like, why are you holding that against Az? It has nothing to do with Az. It has everything to do with Reese. Yeah, I think she was like, oh, it's a bad mistake. Whatever. But yeah, but even that, even if Elaine didn't doesn't didn't know that reese is the one that kind of you know ended that situation between her and as it's an honorable thing to do to be like no you know so i just don't understand why she would be so angry about it because he like like a feeling of rejection or whatever because that's he did the right thing he didn't want to do the right thing he was pretty much forced to do the right thing but like right she doesn't we have to assume that she doesn't know that so all of it is very very frustrating kind of jumping off from that though Azriel has said that his shadows retreat when he's around Elaine which is like a contributing factor to him thinking that she is the one for him but when he is around Gwen his shadows play with her and sing with her and I feel like that is more important of a connection because it's it's not about taking away all of the darkness. It's about like embracing kind of who you are fully. And his shadows are so much a part of him that if they were gone completely, he would be a different person. Right. I also like when Gwen goes, do you sing? And as the dry humor goes, oh, I'm a shadow singer. <laughs> I still love as so much. I love him so much. So we are not going to spend a lot of time talking about the the theories about what's going to happen in the next book and like who's doing what and where and everything because we're gonna we're gonna save that for future a future discussion future discussions. But I feel like it's important to talk about Nesta's journey with Emery and Gwen. And um, it wouldn't be our podcast if we didn't talk about female friendships, right? The, the female friendships that they they discovered with each other, the shared the sharing of the trauma, the finally accepting of everybody. Winning. I'm going to start crying again because I'm going to tell because you know this story. And I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think it was just so important to me. So a couple years ago, I was going through it and Laura was in the States again for a super scientist conference with her husband and it was in new orleans this year and she was back in the states and i even said go if wherever you are i'll fly to you're here the least i can do is fly but at the same time she was the only person in the world who like knew her and sam were the only people in the world who knew what i was going through and she said she called up like we have this tiny little squad we say it's our life squad we've all been friends for like 16 plus years and she didn't tell me and she called them up and she goes, I can't tell you anything, but Jessica's coming and she needs us. And I cried in that moment when Gwen put her fear aside from everything because she just knew that Nesta needed her. And she went to Winhaven. She met up with, she was there with Emery and she was there for Nesta. And that part, I was just crying crying because it just reminded me of our group so much and they were just there they didn't know why they just had to show up and Gwen just showed up she didn't know why she just knew she had to be there and that's still one of my favorite memories and I know that 
even even Rachel was like, okay, you need to stop crying in the airport. People are going to think somebody died. <laughs> it was just it was just such a freaking mess. And it was just one of those things that you don't sometimes you can be strong for so long. And then when you see your friends, like it was definitely a moment for me where I didn't know I needed my friends till I saw them. And it was the best reunion I could have ever hoped and asked for. And we loved New Orleans forever before that. But I think like that was just such a special moment that I'll never, I'll never forget it. In that tiny little house. In that tiny little house. We were, uh and that, I mean, we, we did everything. We did all the drinking. We did all the eating. I, I mean, it was wonderful. And it was just, you guys are the world to me. Aw. Definitely one of my better moments as a person, pulling everybody together <laughs> for that. I don't have a lot of redeeming qualities, but that was a Yo, good dude, one. shut up. You're like the... Uh, I put you on a pedestal. That, that <laughs> was a good one. That was one of, my, one of my better moments. And it's a good way to go. Like, Nesta needed these people so much because she had, she did the exact same thing that Farah had was she found out about the mating bond and lost her fucking mind and called in her bargain with Cass and, you know, went away. It should be noted that her growth in that moment, because I think Cass was even worried that she was like, the bargain is to break the mating bond. I'm sure that that was probably what he was like, before you say anything. And she knew, like, if she hadn't done the internal work that she was continuing to do she knew the type of person she would have retreated to be and say like those she said she's like i would have maimed him with my words blah 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 and i know i've said on this podcast where i was like i will find your emotional trigger and set you off and i like that she recognized that she could do that but she didn't want to do that and she's like we need like physical distance for me to simmer down and even at the end of that chapter she's like I'm not going to give him seven days. I'm going to talk to him tomorrow. Like, I, I just needed to, <laughs> I need to do that. And obviously we know that that's not what happened, but. She'd put in the work at that point. Yeah. She, she'd really kind of, I don't know if she like conquered everything by then, but she was in a really good place. I, I feel like uh, by that point. Was that the, that was after, it had to be immediately after they were in, spring court she like did the death point to tamlin and then they were just flying around for a while and then they flew into downtown valeris right probably uh, i'm all over the place with the, the timeline <laughs> the timeline spring court tamlin get over yourself Cass has allergies those are my two takeaways from the spring court here's some benadryl Cass. yeah it's funny it is it's 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 pretty good um, okay, criticism that I have, I have so many, but, uh, <laughs> and I, I don't mean to be just like negative. I just, I just, this book just, this book is not written for me. It's written for, uh, like a subset of people. And I understand that. And objectively it is a good book. I will reread it at some point where I'm not like tainted by the toxicity of the fandom and what was going on. So, I, like, I, I understand all of this, but I just I love hearing your your thoughts on everything because everything you're saying, I go, yeah, you're right, you're right. I have nothing to to counter it because you're right. I just had a different experience, but I think this goes back to what we said at the beginning of the episode. It was a lot of like, oh shit, uh, that I I have a lot to unpack that I thought was already unpacked, but I guess we haven't hit that yet. <laughs> Something that really bothered me about Gwen and Emery and Nesta is that Nesta 
this is her found family. We know this. Uh, we know in the beginning of the book, she hated that Feyre called the inner circle her family. But I did not really like how Feyre calls Emery and Gwyn like her sisters. And like, these are, you know, these are my real sisters. I understand the trope. I understand that she needed the female friendship to, to like reestablish what it felt like to be a sister. And I understand all of her like issues with Thera and, and I, I get it. Like objectively, I understand. It just grated on me that she's, she's doing this, but she has her blood sisters, Elaine and Feyre, who have been trying to pull her out for two years. And all Nesta needed to do, I mean, not all, we understand it's a, there's a lot. Her power is very scary. Her trauma is terrible. Even like when she's having the nightmare and Reese goes in her mind and like he's horrified. Like we, we understand the trauma is immense. But all she had to do was talk to her, her like blood sisters and they would have been there for her. But she she shat on that. She shat on every opportunity to reconcile with them. And then she goes and creates her own, like, family. Like, I, I, I get it, but it also really bothered me. That she put in the work with her found sisters and not her biological sisters. Would you have, the, would you have a different opinion if... And I know you, you've shared that you are an only child. Would you have had a different opinion if she was putting in the work both, you know, like she was putting in the work with her, her biological sisters while also putting in the work with her found sisters? Because, like, I'm I'm somebody who has put in, you know, the work and continue to put in the work with my own siblings. That doesn't mean it's easy. And there's definitely, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only person where you, there are people in your life where you're, you're closer with your friends than certain members of your family to the point where you consider your friends and like your extended family. So it's not like the effort and the, would you have had a different opinion if, if Nesta was putting in the work and it just wasn't being reciprocated essentially? Yes. Yes. She didn't try at all is kind of what it is. Like she, she has all this, these issues with Feyre. She has her mommy issues, her grandma issues, her daddy issues. She's got all the issues. Her mom was a big character for not being a character in this book. Yeah. And her grandma was also in there. And like, we know all of her daddy issues, but like the, it's, it's more like this sister thing, you know, like these sisters have been trying for two years to help you and you didn't let them help you. And now you have these other, you know, your friends who you love that you haven't known very long, who you have bonded with over like your shared trauma and you can share stuff with them and you've like bared everything fine. But it, it's just the balance isn't there. And then and I understand that you have to relearn how to like love and all of that. And I know that at the end of the book, when Farah is dying in the Breaking Dawn baby scene, that <laughs> she says to Farah that she loves her and the sister bond is fixed. I get that. All I'm saying is that not putting in the work with her blood sisters and putting it all into her found family and calling them her sisters, it bothered me because all that was needed was a little bit of communication about anything from Nesta and her family blood sisters would have been there for her in the same way. That's a consistent thing that I know I've heard you say throughout our podcast is the lack of communication. If 
you just communicated and shared this. And I agree with you. And my my counter argument is, but that's not life. Like, who communicates perfectly? Even as a communications major, I can't communicate great, you know? (laughs) I talk for a living, and that still doesn't get me shit, so... Let's pivot and say the communication between um, the inner circle not telling Farah that the baby was going to kill her. I don't have a problem with that because they were actively working to find a solution that they could present her because they were never like not going to tell her. They were working to find a solution so that when they did tell her, she didn't freak out. She could be presented with options because we all know that that level of like fear and like that festers in a pregnancy. They always tell you like that could upset the baby. Like when my stepmom was pregnant, like because my dad had remarried, you know, my brother, you know, my brother and I, we were, you know, we were older. There's there's a large age difference between my younger siblings than I. And so we were we were like 10 and eight or 10 and seven or something. And we would bicker or even 13 and 10. And my my father would say, like, you can't upset your, your stepmom. She's pregnant, blah, blah, blah. Emotions can't run high. You can't have tension, blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, we're literally preteens and teenagers. Like, do you, how are you going to tell kids to be perfect? But, you know, there was fear there. We were ruled under fear. So it happened. But you hear about that in pregnancies all the time. Like, you're, the emotions that you surround yourself with can can affect the the pregnancy. So I do understand where they were coming from. I also, but I also think she should have known, which is why when Nesta, Nesta did and said the way she did, I, you know, it was out of spite. And she was like, oh, how does it feel now to be hidden? Like, how does that feel? And uh, do I think it was right? No. Do I know where she was coming from? Absolutely. (laughs) That's the thing with this whole book is I'm not in one direction. Because I see both sides of the same coin. I see it throughout the whole book. I I just, I see the balance. You're like, you got this going on, but you also have this going on. You know, that's just my take. It was very, it was very back and forth the whole book. And, and, And I was not. So that that's why we're saying like we had very different experiences with this book. I just want to toot my own horn and say that I was correct with my theory about Nesta taking the blood right. I was so glad. Huzzah! <laughs> Takeaway. I, I, was I right about anything? I wasn't right about it. I don't even think I had theories. You need to go back and, and listen to see if you were right. I don't know. I, I think it was just like, I really just wanted to be back in Volaris. I think the only thing I was right about is drunk Cassian. Yeah, true. He's like, I'm too drunk. You got to stay here. I'm too drunk to fly us home. Everybody's going to be too drunk to... <laughs> and then, like, as and more couldn't... They were so drunk they can't even winnow. <laughs> I loved that. I like... I just I just want to drink with them. <laughs> A big criticism about this book is that after training for, like, three months or whatever, these girls, these women... They're not girls. These women should not have been able to win the right. Compared to the people who have been doing this their whole life. Yeah. But to what I say about that is... 
women could do anything. There's a lot of times that women can do anything men can do, and we do it in heels. Like, that's how I feel sometimes. You don't have to tell us twice. Like, we do it. But there's a lot of teeth. Like, the focus here, which you know from the Valkyries, is is the teamwork aspect. Like, they succeeded because of teamwork, whereas the blood right was very much something that was supposed to be, indivi- like, a very individual right. And, yeah, you made alliances, but those alliances were meant to break. And just, like... Reese as in Cass, they were stronger together. Like, yeah, they they got the brutes, the brute part out of it because they were able to kill everybody. But just because the girls didn't complete, like, yeah, they killed people, but they didn't completely slay everybody. They used their brain, found each other, and the made items. You know, with the help with the made items, Barbie friendship bracelets. <laughs> it was so Whatever. cheesy. It needed to be. So- it needed to be something. It just as an Archeron sister, I'd be pissed if you didn't make me a bracelet. <laughs> Not just like a bracelet. If it was a bracelet, I'm like, keep your fucking bracelet. But then I found out it was a made bracelet. Bitch, where's mine? I agree with you, of course. Teamwork, whatever. I also feel like a big part of them being able to win the right was that they were being directly trained by the best. Right. And the people who have won the Who right. have won. Yeah. So they have Cassian and Azriel. They're training everybody. They make the obstacle course. They know the layout. They know everything that's going to happen. They are giving them all of the tools that they need to succeed. Where I feel like in the Illyrian camps, the focus isn't really, as you said, it isn't on that. It's more like an individual type thing. And Kaz and Az were training them as a unit. And you, uh, I didn't even think of that till now, till you said that. They were training them. They, they have won the right. They were training them as such. And then you find out they changed the course every day, not to just challenge them. It was various courses that are there in the right. So it wasn't like this idea of we're just going to make it difficult for you. They were literally giving them exposure. And here's course one. And here's course two. And here's course three. Because courses one through a zillion those were the options, like those were the obstacles they would be encountering if they chose that path. And I thought, I thought that was like you bringing that up. That's a really good point. And then, of course, we have Nesta's last stand on the mountain, right? Like the girls, they're not girls. Why do I keep saying that? The women, Gwen and Emery make it up there. You know, they, they've got it. Nesta is holding off the queen. And uh, it was very confusing. Like Anelius, like Anelius, the reason the blood right exists right she's doing it just like an alias i thought that that was good i liked that i loved that i love that she held him off that whole scene cassian's the line. being controlled he like goes to stab himself but then he's just like on the ground I, and then and how about and when she really this is what i was going to say earlier when she releases all of that power that she hasn't really used it reminded me of Aelin releasing all of her power in Annie L. For the wave. Where, yeah, she was not going to let him die. Because she had, but prior to that, like leading up until that point, she was like, because my mate taught me. And she had already accepted it. Like she had accepted it. They We already knew that the mating bond had snapped into place, but she finally embraced the term. And she wasn't going, like, that was it. She was not going to let somebody take her, him from her again. It was good. Am I fuzzy on the queen and her whole purpose? Yes. Am I fuzzy about Eris and his his guards? Yes. Am I fuzzy on the trove and what happened in the prison? Yes. Yeah. What the fuck is going on? Okay, so we talk about the trove and the prison. The harp. 
I know we talked about the horn in Crescent City, but the harp and the 26 strings and the the bringing you to the other worlds and word gates and I'm sorry, I'm waiting for that crossover and I'm going to scream of enjoyment because we all we it's there. It's all there. And I love you brought up a good point. Nobody has talked about from the first six chapters is it's not just a globe on Reese's desk. Take it away. Well, it's got it's got he sa- he says like I use this to like stare and like think about like the universes and like other worlds and it shows like other like things and it's just it's really important and, and of course this is in like uh, Kaz's point of view and, he, and he's just like this is boring I'm not gonna pay attention to this but the fandom is just like pay attention to this. <laughs> Have you seen anybody on TikTok or anybody discuss this? No. 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 And Reese built this. I mean, let's not forget that. Like, he's interested in this study. I feel like he's he is the one who is kind of directing the research in the library about all of this. It's not really discussed, like, who's kind of backing. Oh, where, like, Clotho is in and, and Meryl. Yeah, like, and Meryl's research. Meryl's uh, research yeah, and everything. I, I, I feel like Reese is the one that's kind of uh, directing that research. It's not discussed, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, no one has talked about the Globe apparatus in Reese's office, but Sarah's really driving it home. You know, we got we got Aelin falling from the sky. I, we must assume, right? We must we assume. We have to assume. Yeah, because Pharaoh is still pregnant. And even, and that's, and at first I didn't initially know if it was like her first pregnancy or second pregnancy because... And I think that was just the fan art skewing my my image because she's in a purple dress, but she but that fan art was made prior to this book, so um, so I didn't know if this was like a second pregnancy. But even if we take the globe part, if the Aelin part of it away, it is driven about portals and word gates and t- and 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 time, space and time of it all. Oh yeah, and and um, the. Fucking Russian Death Lord, what's his name? Kostche. Kos- he he's he's like the deathless, like the timeless or whatever. Like he predates Prithian. Um, so he obviously got there from somewhere else, right? Like in the book it says like he predates Prithian. So he you know, he got there from somewhere. There's all of this emphasis on the worlds on top of each other and, and um, you know, traveling through everything we have the harp and we we know that the harp can manipulate time and and all of that so it's very interesting of course we know crescent city is the next book that's coming out so it'll be interesting to see what if there's any of that because we already know from um the first crescent city that there is crossover in there with the walking dead and with the book of breathing so and also with um I, I know we've had conversations regarding like how how does Sarah's mind work because she's essentially especially towards the tail end of Throne of Glass we she was finishing Throne of Glass she was clearly writing Crescent City two or Crescent the first Crescent City and still in this Akatar world so I think of those that meme from Always Sunny in Philadelphia where it's like the crazy murderboard scene I just imagine that's kind of what's going on with Sarah's head where she's okay but Throne of Glass is wrapped but she's already had the exposure of like word gates and portals and all this stuff so is she also going to be venturing off what we can assume because she's an author a new series not a prequel but not a sequel either I don't you know maybe something along the same universe where the fan art is because i i would love it you know where we see all this fan art of 
Rowan and Aelin's kid and Reese and Thera's kid. And that being a new trajectory, if there is these crazy crossovers, that, that I mean, again, it's just a theory, but you just don't know where her writing goes or where her mind goes or if she doesn't, or, you know, for all we know, nothing's going to be integrated. I just, there's so much there to not think something's not going to come out of it. As long as we're on the topic of children, um, we can start wrapping up this episode. I know we're running a little long um, about the Breaking Dawn pregnancy scene. <laughs> um, good God. It surprised me that the concept of a C-section was like shocking to everybody. They're like, oh, you're going to cut her open. It's like, okay. That and that it wasn't, it couldn't work. Yeah. Yeah. All, well, I, I know they explain it because somebody even said, like, why don't you just have a C-section in not those exact terms? And I know it said in the world why it wouldn't work, but it just didn't make sense to me. The whole thing didn't make sense to me. I was thinking I really thought that Nesta was going to fight off death. I didn't think she was going to give up her cauldron power. I thought she was going to death was going to show up and she was going to say no, like Dean did when death came, when, you know, the the four horsemen came and death came for Dean and Dean was like, no. Oh, and Dean struck bargains. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Sarah has a history of stripping the most powerful female characters of their power. So uh, I wasn't really surprised by that. Oh, I didn't. I mean, I'm, I'm caught up and I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised by that. She does that. I feel like that could or she could have used her powers to say, you do the C-section. I will heal her to like, I, I just feel like there were different ways that could have gone about it because my heart broke for for Reese because you had as and Cass like physically having to restrain them. And even that was difficult because he was feeling that that his mating bond break again. And he's already basically gone through it twice from under the mountain. And then again, an war feeling his mate ripped from her. I just I felt so bad for that man. My poor, my poor Reese. And then bigger picture knowing himself that he is also seconds away from dying so it's not just Farah dying it's not just the baby dying it's also him dying i don't think that he was considering himself in that moment though no probably not like awareness wise oh but like physically he, yeah because oh, she was dying his bargain yeah like the bargain was just like when the bargain was like getting pulled off of Cass. Yeah, he, he felt was, it. Okay, yeah. okay. So, uh, yeah, I feel like there, I feel like there was a lot going on there. Um, with the face in chapter that we knew was coming, I didn't think that either of them were going to die. You know, the suicide pact is. I forgot about that. You had to remind me. And yeah, I was reminded in the book. I completely forgot about that. It, it was reckless, but at the time we were all like, "Oh, how sweet!" But like now, seeing its implications, we're like, "Damn, that's reckless." Um, I agree well, with Am- Amran. Am- yeah, Amran was like, "Oh." He's stupid people in love yeah, you stupid fucking fools like you're the you're the leaders of this like territory how how could you do this i mean and then some level i totally agree with her but in when it happened i was like oh that's so sweet like you know right. in and out you know whatever but now it's annoying um I, something that really fucking annoyed me about this was nesta giving up her powers but demanding that they change her anatomy so that she can have cass's babies that struck me i was just like Ugh, God. We've had this conversation outside of the podcast. I just don't understand. It, to each their own. 
nothing against it. I just don't understand why there there's this assumption that every happily ever after has to end with with kids. And I just, you know, I understand. I, I get why she did it, but I really like. I don't know. Yeah, didn't sit well with me. And that it had to. It had to be said. Like I, I, I also even if it did happen. I could have done without it being said. I did appreciate when Nesta was telling Cassie in this, he was like, you're ready to have babies? And she was like, no. Oh, yeah. No. no are you kidding me? I'm still taking my tonic. Thank yeah, you very no, much. I, mm, so I, I did appreciate that. That kind of made it a little bit better. But I was just like, God. Um, yeah, the whole birth scene, whatever. Uh, the book ending with Farah. Oh, oh before that uh, Nesta putting on the mask and you know having her little heart to heart with Farah and Farah actually hearing her and then like the forgiveness and then Reese falling on his knees which is the second time he's done yep. that in this book because he did it to Helian as well you know begging and, and thanking Nesta but and he also said he would he would kneel to no one except his crown and his mate and this was both for his mate yeah so, again, not out of character. Not out of character. Yeah, no, totally, totally in character. I, I will I will fight for Reese. I might not like all his choices, but he, I will, I will fight anybody on Reese. And the thing that I did like about Nesta in this moment is she finally sees Reese as like a brother. Yeah. And that is just kind of indicative of all her growth over this 700 plus page book. And he wasn't against her. Like, yeah. I mean, he was in some points, but... She accepted it, like, as a, as a brother, not just, oh, here's my in-law. Like, a brother. Yeah. As a brother, it was nice. And then, of course, the book ends, you know, they she finally goes and visits her dad's grave. And that, you know, I'm, yeah, it's nice. Like, she needed, she needed to do that. The daddy issues were the root of kind of all of her problems. And she, she solved that. So she made her full journey, and now her journey's over, and now we can pivot to somebody else, and I hope it's us. It has to be as, because I cannot deal with a fucking book on Elaine. No, it, and it we've already. I, know it has I mean, to there, be. and you know what? There's a st- there's still a lot that we didn't discuss that we can discuss in that future surprise episode that we're gonna have, um, where we didn't talk about the ball scene. We didn't talk about Eris at all. Yeah, and at all. Nesta is like this prolific dancer with no practice ever. She's just like I like that she. <laughs> What I really like about Nesta is the level of petty I and things that she will do for spite. I am here for. It might not be healthy, but I absolutely love. I mean, from everything she does, like even with like the table, the table scene, the dining room scene, that he was like, "I, you can't keep doing that. I'm gonna go." And she's the satisfaction that she has on her face where she's like, I did that. And then when she wins Eris on the dance floor, just because of her dancing, dancing skills and like her seduction techniques and just being playing courtier. I love that pettiness or even taking the Duke away from like the bitchy girl who like who is bad towards her sister. And she goes, yeah, I, I just did it because I could. I, I like that. And I'm not, I'm not a mean girl. I don't think. I've never done that in real life. You respect you respect the petty, and there's nothing wrong I with respect respecting the petty. The, I think I, I respect it because if I could do something like that, I would. Final thoughts. I liked the book. Maybe in a couple weeks, 
it might change because I also looked at my Goodreads review for Frost and Starlight like a couple weeks ago because I was updating something. And I had embarrassingly wrote, I think this is the best one in the entire series. Am I on crack? Was I drunk when I wrote that? Because that is clearly not the best book in the entire series. And I know that I didn't even know I wrote that. Like I had to write that drunk because or and I was definitely on the Akawar high because it was just all fluff. And that's definitely not the best. A- we know we acknowledge that Akafas is not the best. I didn't even remember I wrote it. So... <laughs> Um, I will definitely read it again. I think I'm I think I'm past my book hangover for now. I love Cass. I I, I love Cass. I love Cass. Reese is my number one and Cass is my number two. Fratty, Batty, Horsecock Cass. Oh, please. Please. What are your final thoughts? My final thoughts is are I will reread this book when the fucking drama, bullying, and toxicity of the fandom has calmed down. That shit needs to stop. Yeah. Yeah. When that has calmed down, I will read this book and reevaluate it through, like, less, I don't know, just ickiness. And and maybe now that, like, I know where it's going and I know, like, the plot points and stuff, I can kind of pay attention to that more. Yeah. and, And the sex scenes won't, like, jar me as much as they did. Uh, so I, I can kind of reevaluate everything, but I'm just glad that Nesta has gotten over everything and she can be a productive member of the inner circle because it's it's very clear that they're going to war and we can finally look at the big picture. It'll be interesting to see now that she has, I mean, it, it, not to say that when, when you go through your healing, all of a sudden everything's okay. Like, it's a constant, it's constant work. But it will be, you bring up a good point, it will be interesting to see her role in this whole story and the series goes towards now. Just like with Throne of Glass, where we started getting to know these characters more, and, and I say this specifically regarding Caltine, Alid, and Lysandra, because we know where my opinions were with them initially, and seeing how they played out in the end, it will be interesting to see now that she has had this redemption book. She's got her shit together now. Where that's going to take us. Yep. And how and how she can take charge and like affect the world around her instead of internalizing everything and being forced to do things, you know. She she never actually willingly well, I guess she did willingly do some things in Akawar, but uh, now it's not like pulling teeth to get her to do things. Uh, she's a part of the unit, and she also has her own Valkyrie unit. Right. So how she uses that situation, and you know, now's not the time and place to speculate, but it sets it up for a lot of nice plot that's going to happen. So final thoughts? I mean, it's good. It's good. This was a like a productive, healthy conversation. It should be an example to people. <laughs> Not that we're examples. Nobody should ever try to do what we've done in our past. Eh, well. <laughs> we're we're I mean, if you want to have fun, if you want to have fun, like totally do what we've done in our past. We're grown women. We own and accept and respect choices and opinions and all of that. So, Wow. I'm sure this is going to be a long episode, but thank you for listening. We really appreciate you. And we have something special coming soon. Soon, yeah. Um, And 
this episode, it should be March 1st. Um, we wanted to give a couple weeks. People are still processing. People are still re- getting their books. I mean, the, the devastation that's going down south, I mean, it's, it's where we grew up. There's a lot. We, we know those states. We've been to these places. They're not prepared for this, you know? I mean, COVID makes it even harder. So my heart really does go out to them. If I could physically be there, I probably would because it's just it just sucks, you know, to, to want to be able to support and you physically can't for a lot of these people. Um, it is March 1st, our episode that we're re- receiving. So next week will be our Empire, uh, oh, the dreaded Empire of Storms episode. Feel free to follow us on Instagram, Acafe Podcast, A-C-O-F-A-E Podcast. We're also both on TikTok now, Acafe Jessica, A-C-O-F-A-E, and Acafe Laura. We're just those people who are still learning TikTok, but we'll we'll put snippets out there. We try to fake memes, and really, we're still just trying to find our creative outlets a year after we've been in lockdown. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day, everybody. Bye.